Welcome to another episode of Where You Are. My name is Jimmy Ellenberg, and I am the host and creator of this lovely little podcast. And I'm Fox. I'm the technical editor of this little podcast. And we took a little bit of a break in December because there was an apartment fire (laughs) at our building, and we lost pretty much a lot of stuff, especially our technical equipment. We kept the editing computer, we lost a charger, we lost some microphones, it was a mess. So we took December off, even though I hated to do that, and now we're just going to pick up where we left off. So the interview I'm about to share with you is with a wonderful young woman named Tiana Tate, who is the editor-in-chief of a new magazine at the University of Alabama that celebrates black culture, black students, black excellence. It's really a wonderful publication. I've seen all of the issues that are available online. She looked around her and saw there wasn't good representation in the media on campus, so she she wanted to change that. And in the middle of the pandemic, she was able to do that. She had the idea, and she went through all the channels and brought it to fruition, and now they're basically four issues in. In the interview that we recorded, I think they'd only published about two issues at that time. That's right. So just forgive me, everyone, when you're listening to the interview and I'm talking about dates and numbers of publications, because that was back in November. We meant to release this a month ago, but then there was a fire. Right. So the thing I love about Tiana is that she is so focused on not only achieving a goal that she sets for herself, but in having some sort of impact on her community. She talks about that. A legacy-based impact, yeah. Exactly. And I think that's the kind of thing that we want to encourage more of in the world and especially in our young folks. And it's just really inspiring and motivational to listen to her. She's also on the forensics team. So she's, she's really good at speech and debate. And I told her when the interview was over, I was like, Fox is really going to love you as an editor because every word is is so precise and every idea is so clear. So that was really good. I found my cuts, but she was pretty good. Yeah. 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 Another thing that I love about the magazine is, is the title and it's named 1956. As many of you probably already know, because that was the year that authoring Foster became the first African American student to enroll in classes at the university of Alabama. And in choosing that as the title, I think what Tiana was aiming for, I think she mentions this, is to root it in history. In a very local and specific history, yes. Yeah, So, and I think that's wonderful. That, that, that helps maintain its legacy, right? It, it anchors it. So she just all around is a wonderful person and is doing amazing things to be such a young person. And I can't wait to see what else she has up her sleeve in the future. So please enjoy this interview with Tiana Tate, Editor-in-Chief of 1956. I first heard about you the other day. I was in my car listening to WBHM, and they were interviewing you and doing a story on you. You started a magazine at the University of Alabama, and you talk about in your editorial in the first issue about how you had a revelation. And I'm so impressed that you took that revelation and turned it into reality in the middle of a pandemic, but you now have two issues that I'm aware of. Is that correct? That is correct. I I read the second one uh, today. I came across it and it's even better than the first one. You're doing such great work. I really enjoy all of the articles. It's very impressive what you're doing to provide representation and experience for black students at UA. So we're going to talk about 
how you got this up and running, what your background is that prepared you for this and sort of where you see yourself going and where you see 1956 going in the future. So welcome and thank you so much for doing this. Thank you for having me. Before we get into the nitty gritty of the magazine, I would like to talk about what you are like as a person, what your background is that prepared you to do something as major as to start your own magazine on on campus in the middle of a pandemic. So I'm definitely a go-getter. I like to get things done. When I have an idea, I don't like to sit on it. So when it came to 1956, the idea came about over the summer after I created my first blog, Becoming Black Excellence, which was to provide educational resources to minority students with a focus on Black students and also offer insight into my college experience. 1956 was the idea that came up after that because I was thinking about Were there any publications on campus that were geared towards Black students and students of color on campus? And upon realizing that there weren't, I made a little note about starting up a magazine and also about creating a name. I would say the name 1956 also came about that same day because I was just thinking about the history of Black students at UA and how if I did create a magazine, I would want the title to connect to that history. So that's kind of how 1956 came about. And I guess my personality, uh, the go-getter, striving to just get things done and to also like leave an impact on campus is what kind of pushed me to go ahead and launch 1956. I know that you're still young, but what was the even younger Tiana like? I mean, were you always, even at a young age, were you forming your own organizations and creating your own publications? Yes, the younger Tiana loved to do creative things. When I was uh, in elementary school, I was a part of a news show. It was called WBEC. So basically we had student anchors tell the news and you know give the daily morning reports. I would say that's my first introduction to kind of like doing something similar to publications or writing and speaking which kind of is geared around journalism. And then in middle school, I was on the news for actually being a, it was called the Future Forecasters Program. So you had to audition, they had a casting call. And then they selected you, you got to give the news report for a day. Honestly, when I was younger, I didn't really have any interest in journalism per se, but I did do a lot of things that were like centered around writing and speaking and even like just being creative. I love to draw when I was younger. And so I guess that would really have influenced me now. Again, like I never would have imagined that I would have been, you know, majoring in journalism in college because that's not really anything that I had, you know, that's not really a major that I had saw myself doing as a child, but I feel like my younger self definitely had an impact on my future choices. Where did you think you would be when you got to college? What were, you, what were your thoughts going into it? I had plans on being a business major. Again, like when I was younger, I was involved in the creative side of things, journalism, but I was also like business savvy. So I was always like coming up with my own business ideas and business plans and things like that. But I thought about it and I wanted to go on a pre-law track. So I felt like journalism would be far more impactful just because I could you know, hone and strengthen my writing and speaking and reporting skills. I am an English teacher at a community college. And one of the first things I noticed when I read your editorial is the quality of the writing is so strong. Have you always been that gifted as a writer? Or did you just have really good 
teachers and training for your writing? I read a lot when I was younger, and I feel like that contributed to my writing skills. Like, I remember being in third grade, reading Jane Eyre and other college-level books. Wow. That definitely contributed to, like, my vocabulary and also just making sure my writing skills were strong. I don't know. I was always, like, really particular about how I wrote. Like, I wanted to make sure there were no errors, and, like, I just wanted to make sure everything was, like, cohesive. So I feel like that definitely contributed to now. I go through several different editing processes. So of course we have our contributing writers write first, then their editors look over it, then the managing editor looks over it, and then I give it the final look and just make sure everything looks good and make sure like we're using the right words and everything following AP guidelines. So I would definitely say reading. I loved to read when I was younger. I try to tell my students all the time when they ask, how do I become a better writer? I always say you need to read more. Mm -hmm. Selfishly, I would like to ask you this as an English teacher. Do you have a favorite author or or book? I like Their Eyes Are Watching God by Zora Neale Hurston. Such a great one. Mm -hmm. So I would say that's one of my favorites. I saw in the second issue, I think you had a quote from James Baldwin, who really is one of my personal heroes. Most of my heroes are women, but James Baldwin is one of my heroes who is a man. And I always just loved everything he wrote. Have you read a lot of James Baldwin or did you just like that quote? I've actually watched the documentary. I can't remember the name off the top of my head, but it was basically about a book that he was going to write. He didn't get to finish. And the documentary kind of like finished that book for him. So it kind of it, the documentary used part of what he wrote and also part of his experiences. So basically a little gist of the documentary was it was about three of his friends, uh, Malcolm X, Martin Luther King. It basically detailed their lives and how they impacted James Baldwin as well. If I can remember the name, I would say it, but I just can't. I do. It's uh, I Am Not Your Negro is the name of the documentary. Mm-hmm. I I had to go to Atlanta to see that because they weren't showing it Alabama at the time. That's a really good documentary. So before we move into talking about the magazine some more and the specifics of it, I know that you were, it it came to you as a revelation to start it because of the sort of lack of, uh, because of a lack of representation in campus media, especially for black students. Have you, when did you first become aware of a lack of representation Have you carried it with you always, or is it something that you noticed more being in a predominantly white college? What do you think? I feel like I always noticed it, you know, as a child, but being at a PWI, you do notice it more, especially when it comes to like you wanting to do certain things on campus and then you finding out that they don't even exist, such as like 1956. A lot of students have said, you know, that's the idea they never thought of, but if it was launched earlier, that's something they would have participated in before they graduated. I feel like being at a PWI kind of like opens up your eyes in terms of like campus things. But ever since I was a child, you know, being in the world, you're definitely going to see where representation is lacking. Why did you choose a PWI instead of an HBCU? Was there a reason for that? I felt like I chose the school that I thought could give me the most resources in terms of like what I want to do. So of course I'm pre-law and I got a full ride to UA. I also had like just always been at UA since I was younger. In terms of sports, I initially wanted to come to UA for sports, but since I've been at UA, I've gotten involved in like a lot of academic things because I'm also into academics as well as into sports. But I would say academics does take up a lot of my time 
I am a part of the Forensics Council, which is a speech and debate team, which is basically like a sport. It's, it's the same thing, practices, tournaments, all of that. So, I mean, I wouldn't say that I felt like a PWI was stronger than an HBCU. I definitely initially wanted to go to Howard University, but at the end of the day, it all comes down to, you know, what's the best choice for you? And I feel like they both have great opportunities. I definitely will say I wouldn't have been able to do 1956 at an HBCU. So I felt like maybe that's why UA was a good choice for me. Yeah, it's great the way things work out. Obviously, I, you know, I noticed in the second issue of, of 1956, there was a full page ad from the, I guess, uh, was it the Black Alumni Association? Uh, acknowledging what you have done here is really you've, you've you created a legacy and, you know, you mentioned all those students who would have loved to have participated if there was something like this, but you're someone who came along and created this opportunity, not just for yourself. This is what I think is so wonderful is that it is really for every, all, all black students in particular, right? It's really amazing that you were able to do this. So I really do. I'm curious about your process in terms of choosing the writers, the artwork. I love the artwork in the first issue, especially. I love the second issue too. How do you how do you make all these choices? Are there is there a team? Yes, we do have a student team which was selected over the summer through our application process. 1956 was kind of announced over social media. At the time, I was the social media strategist at the Crimson White, and so I told them about. I told Rebecca, the editor in chief of the Crimson White, we're pretty uh, cool. So I told her about 1956 and. She said it would be a good idea for me to post on social media on the Crimson White about it. So that's kind of how the word got out about 1956 to the student body. On the first day, it was a ton of feedback, a ton of positive feedback. So when I posted the application link, like it wasn't much I had to do in terms of like recruiting. Students just applied because that's what they wanted to do. So we got a lot of applications over the summer, went through those, chose the editors, the contributing staff. And in terms of just like artwork and stuff, I do allow our contributing staff and editors to have a lot of creativity. I oversee things, but I don't, I don't try to prevent them to, from like, kind of like doing what they want to do in terms of like being creative. So like they will run ideas by me or like sometimes I have an idea and I kind of like put it out there. But in terms of the first issue with the artwork that you're referring to, that was a lot of the visuals editor, a lot of her artistic freedom in doing that. This is interesting. You know, there are other people that I would compare you to, even though you're young and I know you're just starting out, but you think of people who have their own sort of vision, their own idea, like Oprah with her show and her network or Dolly Parton, who I love, who has all these visions of things that she wants to be done, but they're able, and you were able to do this at such a young age, you're able to have a vision, but allow other people into that vision and give them the creative space to contribute. I think that's very interesting. Do you ever f- feel a little jealous of your vision? Is, is there, are there ever times where you just want to say, okay, no, that's not what I had in mind? I wouldn't say so. Uh, not yet. I just feel like the vision definitely incorporates our Black students. So a big part of that vision was allowing them to have that creative outlet to show their artwork, to show their writing, Like I said before, I just feel like it's just great for students to have that opportunity. Again, that's a part of the vision, so I don't really see myself getting jealous over anything like that. Do you have in place some sort of plan of succession? Because you're not going to be there forever, obviously. 
Yeah, of course. So usually how it works if we're through the Office of Student Media, the editor-in-chief, there's like a process in, where, in which like the board helps choose along with the previous editor-in-chief. I believe that's how it works. Mm-hmm. So I definitely want to be a part of that process when it comes to me graduating from UA because I want to ensure that the magazine continues to be successful and whoever is the next editor-in-chief definitely has the same mindset as me in terms of wanting it to be successful and also wanting the students to continue to have a platform to share their creative work and to share their voice. Do you, how, I'm very curious about this, how do you balance all of your other (laughs) academic and extracurricular activities with the magazine? Definitely, it goes into scheduling. So like, Over near my like desk area in my room, I have a whiteboard that I like write everything down on. So like including this uh, interview, I have times and then I have like what I have to do at that time. And then like I have a bunch of like alarms set on my phone, like a lot, (laughs) to be honest. (laughs) So like I set alarms a few minutes before whatever I have to do. So sometimes they're just Zoom calls. Sometimes it's just me working on assignments. Sometimes it's me setting aside time to work with 1956. Or if it's, you know, speech and debate, whatever it is, I typically just use, you know, whiteboard and alarms. That's my main system right now. And it seems to be working. I'm very impressed. How about all, I've noticed you did an interview with WBHM. I read a couple of other interviews that you did. Are you getting a lot of attention from outside the college? Yes. So around the time I did the WBHM interview, I also had a bunch of interviews the week before and the week of. Uh, To name a few, like my hometown, Montgomery, I did an interview with WSFA. And of course, I've done interviews in Tuscaloosa. also did a few for stations in Birmingham. So I would say Birmingham, Montgomery, Tuscaloosa. Those are the main sources right now. Hopefully we can branch out a next semester because I definitely do want other colleges to hear about 1956, just in case they have students who want to launch something similar on their campuses. Absolutely. Do you have plans for a third issue or is that going to be in the spring? The third issue is launching next week. Oh, wow. Yes, we do have that in the works and the spring semester will definitely have some issues launching as well. I have a question. This may be too far in the weeds, but what kind of program do you use to create that digital magazine? And and are there hard copies as well? There are currently not any hard copies, but that's definitely something up in discussion right now. We use mainly Adobe when it comes to designing pages and, you know, even artwork. And then to upload it to the internet, it's a software called Yumpu. And that's something that the university as a whole uses. So we uploaded through there and that enables us to like see how many people viewed our article and it also enables them to share it across social platforms. Yeah, uh, that's that's fantastic that you can see who's how many people have viewed. I shared the first issue on my Facebook page, not like I, you know, I don't have like five million followers or anything, but <laughs> I thought it was great that I could share it. One of the things I wanted to do is just I've got the issues pulled up here just for people listening so they'll know the kinds of things that are in the first two issues you have there's a great article about mental health and uh, there's an article about activism and sports there in both issues you have there are articles about voting and voting rights and and there are even 
cultural and sort of like the, I know in the first issue, there's a list of movies and like it's excellence in black cinema, I think is what it's called. And the second issue really, first of all, the photography is fantastic. The, the, the first article mask on mask off. I have to admit that I was being too literal about that when I read the, the article, it's a great <laughs> article about code switching which I'm constantly talking to students about in, in an English class. And I think it was really good. Do you have to turn away some of the, the articles? These are some good choices you've made. So during our first semester, we basically had the same amount of contributing writers. So basically the people who wrote for the first issue also want to write for the second issue. Currently, I haven't had to turn away any articles but moving forward, if we continue to get more submissions, we might have to limit the amount of submissions for our digital issue, but also like those articles will still be published on our website, which is currently like we have that launched, but we're just working on getting that set up and running more frequently. Well, it's just phenomenal what you're doing. What, as we close up here, what are your plans for you personally? I know you're going to law school, I take it? Yes, sir, I am. So currently I am a sophomore at the University of Alabama, but I took AP classes in high school. So technically I'm a junior. So I will be graduating early. So right now I've been trying to study for the LSAT and kind of just, you know, get target law schools that I want to go to. I enjoy 1956. I enjoy being involved in digital media, publications, journalism. So definitely like I don't, I wouldn't put that behind me leaving UA. I might still be involved with it even in law school because it's definitely something I have a passion for. But right now I'm just trying to ensure the magazine is successful, uh, make sure we have great dedicated staff, make sure I'm focused on my academics, I really want to graduate UA with a 4.0. So that is definitely something that I'm sticking to right now. And then also, you know, speech and debate, that's a lot on my plate. But I would say, you know, academics and then 1956 wise, I'm focusing on that right now so that in the future, I'm not limited to my opportunities. Do you have, well, as I talk to you, I know I don't know you that well at all but I get the sense that there's a really much, there's a big purpose for you in this world. Do you have that feeling about your life that you, you really have big plans for yourself? I've been told that quite often, even before going to UA, I was in this competition called the Youth of the Year. So they had it local Montgomery wise. I won that competition. Then they had it statewide and the competition was held in Gunnersville. So I ended up winning that. And in the speech, basically you had to give a, like a seven minute speech about how you're a catalyst in your community. I mentioned how I was attending the University of Alabama and how I want to leave an impact there. And following that competition, one of the judges came up and told me that she saw me doing something really big at UA, you know, during my first year or like even my second year. So I would say, I guess just hearing that just really motivates me. And hopefully I can continue to do bigger things. 1956, I would say it's just the first step. I see myself continuing to leave an impact, not only at the University of Alabama, but also in my community as a whole, statewide, and you know, if I'm given the opportunity, national-wide, you know, I just like to take opportunities and impacting my community and just, especially when it comes to minority students, uh, showing them how 
much you can get from not only having a education in college, but also just, you know, going after your goals and your dreams. It really means a lot to me. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me. One last thing I wanted to say to you is we live in a very strange time right now this year, and you've been able to do a lot of things, but how has the pandemic affected you personally? And do you have plans to, what is the plan for you in this pandemic to deal with those in-between times, between semesters? Do you live off campus? I'm actually in on-campus apartments and going in for the holidays, uh, definitely see myself continuing to like work on the magazine in my free time. And because, you know, our classes ended early this semester. Oh, that's right. Before mm -hmm. Thanksgiving. Definitely. Just taking some time to work on the magazine, be my family, and also, you know, write for speech and debate, work on some articles. Just in my free time, I like to write. And so I feel like if I have December and a little bit of January before I have to go back to my classes, I want to use as much as that time to be productive because I probably won't be going out in the pandemic anyway. So no, my productive. I'm actually going to stay home for Thanksgiving. It's going to be, you know, my mom and my stepdad both have COVID right now, but they're toward the end of it, we hope, and hanging in there. So thank you so much, Tiana. It was really a pleasure to meet you. And that's it. <laughs> well, thank you for having me. And I look forward to seeing the episode when it airs. All right. Thank you so much. Have a great weekend. You too. Where You Are was created by Jimmy Ellenberg and edited by Fox Williams. Our intro is Small Piano from the Ant Hill album by Patricia Taxon. All music was used with permission. The views expressed in this podcast do not reflect those of any institution for which I have ever worked or will ever work. Thanks for listening. Have a nice day wherever you are. <laughs>